Good evening, everybody. How are y'all? Yeah. Hey, somebody's alive here and awake today. I like that. I'm going to need some crowd interaction. My name is Richard uh, Eberly, and uh, my wife, Julie, and I, we get to serve here at New Life. We've been here for in Conway for about five years. My wife actually went to school at UCA. She was actually a part of Elevation uh, when she was in college, and we love this ministry. We love your pastors, Pastor Justin and Emily. The Freeze, they're about to have a baby boy. That's right, man. Moving into that parent life. My wife and I, we're there. My wife, uh, I'll, show, I'll go ahead and show you a picture of my family. This is my wife, Dr. Julie Eberly. And then we have a, yeah, that's right. She's awesome. Uh, and then we have our little girl. She's two and a half, Finley. No, go back, go back, go back to the family. And then our son, Joel, he just turned nine months old. Anybody play in the snow? Yeah, over the break, we did too. And we broke our kids in right. Our daughter may be two and a half, but we're gonna learn. Go ahead, sled down a big hill and look at her. Like, look at that face. Like, she's having a good time. She's a little scared, but having fun at the same time. And that was right before this happened. Boom. You know, every kid needs to crash and learn to crash. Life is hard, toughen up kid. But look at her face on this picture. We zoomed in like, <laughs> that was amazing. Like, I will... She's okay. Like, she cried for about an hour, but after that, like, you know, and after the doctor, she's good. But we got a great picture, and then, uh, yeah, and then we were, we're those parents right there. Um, overachievers just a little bit, maybe, uh, but we built an igloo. What did you do over, over the snow break? Probably not as much as we did, but... Um, I'm glad to be here. I, I'm going to just go ahead and jump in. Uh, here, a couple of prefaces. Uh, I know, here, here's what I'll say before I get going. I have a tendency to get loud sometimes, and there's a vein that comes out, and I'm a short guy, so promise you, I'm not an angry little man. Like, I'll just go ahead and tell you. That way, so you're like, chill, man. Like, he speaks to kids? Yes. But I promise, tonight what I want to talk about, I'm really passionate about, because it, it's the very thing that altered, like, the direction of my life. Like, I, I don't think I'd be here today, and I mean that, and I was back when I was in college, but I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. I just want to read a scripture to you. Let's, y'all ready to get in the Word? I hope you came to get in the word. So here's what it says in Proverbs 7, 17. It says, a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for a time of adversity. Um, look what it says in Ecclesiastes 4, 9, uh, and 10. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Let me just tell you tonight, I think one of the most underrated talks in a relationship series, and you're like, oh, relationships, and I know you're in college, you're all like, man, like the guy or the girl, I wanna get married, all this stuff, but you, I can't speak enough on the value of a friendship and the power of a friendship and how you, what they mean in your life. And here's what I'm gonna do tonight. I'm gonna talk about friendship and here's the angle I'm gonna do. We're not gonna, as I talk through these, I don't want your mind going to think, yeah, that person's not this, that person's not this. Tonight, we're, we're taking the word and the word's gonna be a mirror. And we need more people looking into this word as a mirror in our culture right now than we do is it pointing at other people. Self-examining ourselves, saying, God, where are we off? The problem is not out there. The problem is me. And God, how can you shape and change my life to be the person that is formed into the image of your son, Jesus, to push back on the darkness? And I think it goes back and over. we overlook it so often, the value of being a friend. Because here's what you need to know in life. Life comes with adversity. 
you will have difficulties in this life. Maybe you have already seen that, or maybe you are going to face that. And I don't mean to be like depressing about it, but it's just true. You will go through hardship in this life. That is part of the human experience. The Bible makes it clear. It doesn't say that everything is fluffy bunnies and unicorns all the time. Like you will have hardship. But here's the other thing you need to know. And we even see it in the scripture. You can't get through life without hardship and difficulty. But here's the other thing. You can't get through adversity and difficulty without friends. You need friends. And this world right now we're living in needs people desperately who desire to be good, good friends. And you're like saying, oh, what are you talking about? I can get through. I don't need friends. What about family? What about spouse? Yes, if they're friends. Some of you know in here, you can have family or even a spouse that's not your friend and actually makes adversity harder. You need friends. They're important. And what's crazy right now is we are in a culture that doesn't really elevate friends. We're in a user culture where people are constantly looking at people and running this cost-benefit analysis in their head, whether you realize it or not, and saying, how is this person going to benefit me? If I'm going to be around them, are they going to bring something to me? Uh, Is it going to boost my insecurity? Are they going to help me get somewhere? And we're always running this, and you have a user relationships or just what this world is made of. But as followers of Jesus, we're not called to be users. We're called to be Friends, not running this cost-benefit analysis. Like many friendly people, and and oftentimes you don't even realize you're being a user. And so tonight, I want us to open up God's word to see what does it mean to be a friend, someone who has no cost-benefit calculator running through their mind, someone who, who is a friend that loves at all times. They stick when things get hard with one another. They Friends were made for rough, days and we all have rough days and I want to tell you a little bit about a rough day I had back in 2006 in 2006 I was a freshman in college and I was attending Henderson State University and I chose to go to that college for a reason because no one was really going there that I knew from my hometown and I was in, a, in, in this situation of my life where I grew up in church But I was like walking away from the faith and it was like I didn't tell anybody because I was afraid what people were going to think. And I was so excited to go to Henderson State. I chose not to go to UCA because a lot of my friends, I didn't go to Fayetteville. I didn't go to Tech. I went to Henderson because it was like no one's going there. I can breathe. I can doubt. I can get rid of this Christianity because I had been looking at myself and I mean going to church. But I definitely wasn't walking with Jesus. I was a major hypocrite. I never really picked up my Bible and didn't know what it says. And I was like, this is a bunch of hocus Focus. And so my freshman year, I picked up this book and read it more than I'd ever read it in my life. Not because I was like, oh, I want to follow Jesus. Because I was like, well, if I'm not going to believe this, I want to know why. And I'm going to read this thing. And so it was through the reading of this. But there was a guy, his name was Nathan Harper, a good friend of mine. And he went to the University of Arkansas at Monticello. Now, I don't know if you anybody knows much about Monticello, but there ain't much there. And Nathan was like, hey, you got to come to Monticello. I was like, Nathan, I ain't going to Monticello. He's like, you got to come to Monticello. I was like, I ain't going to Monticello. Uh, but I was in probably a really lonely, like, desperate spot. I wasn't saying I was depressed. I was just searching. I didn't know who I was. Well, on, I want to tell you about the weekend that changed my life. It was in September. It was like September 6th in 2006. 
that I made the two-hour drive from Arkadelphia on Highway 8 all the way to Monticello, Arkansas to actually come to a college service just like this, what y'all were doing. And it was powerful. It was like worship. I mean, like, well, this was probably better than them. We were jamming out to like Chris Tomlin and David Crowder, like, bless us. We were doing the best that we could, y'all. Praise God for like progressing music, right? Um, But... It was powerful. Like I'd never been in a service that people kind of like worshiped freely like this. And then there was a man named Rob Leonard who, who, who got up and he communicated the word in a way. I was like, wow, like this guy really believes what he's talking about. But I was still had my doubts. And, and it's really easy in a moment to say, yeah, these people seem very genuine and passionate, but I don't know who they really are. I was skeptical of them. But something about this group of people gathering in this room and then they're like hey let's go play volleyball and I'm like I gotta drive back to Arkadelphia it's Thursday night and they're like come play volleyball and I went and played volleyball and the next thing you know it was like three in the morning and I was like well I'm skipping class tomorrow like a good freshman did <laughs> didn't have extra clothes or anything and so I stayed but I was like man there's something very attractive about these people like man I, ha- I just hadn't been around a community like this it didn't change I was very skeptical of the guy preaching the message that didn't change like oh I came to know Jesus I was just like I just want to be around these people. This is fun. Well, uh, going on into that weekend, Friday night, I was looking forward to this. I was hanging out with some guys. And this is where everything changed. We're at a guy, Kyle Haywood and Colby Ladd's house. They lived here in Monticello. And they had like, they were the cool house. I mean, they had like Guitar Hero. They had original Nintendo. Like we were like playing. It was a lot of fun. But something changed. This guy, his name is Josh Rawls. Anybody know who Josh Rawls is? All of a sudden, he called, as we're debating on, like, what do you do? There's not much you do in Monticello on a Friday night. You got a movie theater, bowling alley, or, like, go chase armadillos with a baseball bat. You know, that's about all we could do. And we're trying to debate between all that. And, and Josh calls, and Kobe Ladd answers the phone, and you could tell something shifted, and Kobe's, like, like just his attitude at the moment. And he hung up the phone, we're like, what is it? And he's like, you know Josh, He's being overdramatic about something. He's about to pull up for some reason. He just told us to come outside. So we go outside. And this is where Josh pulls up, and I'll never forget. I can still see Josh's face. He gets up this face of sheer terror. Because as he pulls up, he didn't pull up in his vehicle. He pulled up in another guy's vehicle. And for the sake, I'm just going to call this guy Bill, just for namesake, Bill. Pulls up in the vehicle with Bill. And Josh gets out and he says, he's got a gun and he's trying to kill himself. And it's like, whoa, we just went from fun to really intense in a moment. And then all of a sudden you hear this guy start screaming, kicks open the door and just F-bomb after F-bomb after F-bomb, like angry. He's depressed, he's drunk, and he's trying to kill himself. Like that's what's going on. And, and here, I'll be honest with you, where I was in this moment, this is my thought. This is how broken I was. I was like, well, there goes our fun night. Like, it just got ruined. Like, that's literally what I thought. I, I don't like that, but that's where I was in my life. And so the next thing you know, this guy gets out, and he's like, you, you, I can't believe you effing brought me here. And, like, first thing, he's just cussing, dog cussing everybody. And he looks at me. He doesn't even know me. He's like, I don't even know the F you are, but F. You let me go is what he's screaming. Like, y'all, this is, this is intense. And I'm not exaggerating on this. Like, this was real. And in this moment, we had a choice to let this guy go or not. And here's what I saw. 
I saw a group of guys I had no, really no clue who they were. I just really met them. I only knew one guy really in that, in that group. And I watched them take this guy who was angry, drunk, depressed into this house. And for the next several hours, I watched this guy break stuff in the house. Dog cuss everybody. Yell at them. Let me just end it. And one by one, I just watched guys. And these weren't just like anything like super spiritual. These are just country boys from Monticello, Arkansas. Uh, Hamburg, like uh, rising. Like this ain't like, they're in like boots and just Abercrombie. Like that's where we were at the time. Like, <laughs> And one by one, I just watched these guys with tears in their eyes. Because it's easy to love somebody when they're lovable. But let me just tell you, it's not easy to love somebody when they're not. And one by one, I watched them go around the room and share their story. I still remember Brent Herod talking about losing, losing one of the most influential, influential men in his life, his grandfather, because his dad wasn't really around, and just telling about that. And then Kobe Ladd talking about how his dad abused them and left them with like thousands of dollars of debt. And, and, and he had tried drugs, sex, everything. And, and one by one, they're going around and they're saying, but I met Jesus. And Jesus changed my life. I met Jesus, and Jesus changed my life. And at this time, like, everybody, and I'm just, like, weeping. I don't even know what's going on. Like, I'm just crying because it was so intense. But I had never seen a sacrificial friendship of sticking with somebody in that moment because they were no longer users. They had taken ownership for this guy's mess. And in that, they stuck with him. And this wasn't just for a little bit, oh, you're going to do better, cheer it up. And like, no, it was very, and like, he wasn't changing. He was still, F you all, I'm going to take my life as soon as y'all, y'all can't stay with me forever. It was in that moment that day that I saw what real friendship looked like. In the moment of adversity, people chose to put their money where their mouth was. It wasn't just a night where they sat and sang what was transforming that drew me close to Jesus in the midst of my broken mess, far from God. This guy, his broken mess, far from God, collided because people chose to be a friend in an adverse time in someone's life. Not when it was easy, but when it cost them something. And they were willing to do whatever it took to carry their friend and bear with their, his burdens until he got well. And it was in that moment that I said, Jesus, I, I'm not really sure about you, but if this is what it looks like to follow you and this is what your followers look like, I want to be a part of this. And long story short, Monday morning, I was at Henderson State University and I walked into my advisor's office and I told her, I said, look, she's like, what are you doing in here? I said, look, I need to know what I got to do to transfer to the University of Arkansas at Monticello. She goes, what? I said, she, I said, you're not talking me out of it. I'm going to UAM. She's like, you'll lose your scholarship. And I said, I don't care. God will provide. And then I was like, what am I saying? God will provide. Like, <laughs> who am I becoming? Like, but you see, in that that night, that moment, and over the next period of, of days and weeks walking with that guy, it wasn't just the broken person in that room who was going through great adversity in their life that's life was changed because someone chose to be a friend. 
but it was also an observer, broken far from God in a different way that saw what real friendship looked like and how attractive and how valuable and how powerful that was that brought me to the feet of Jesus to choose to follow him and walk with him. Y'all, I can't express it enough, the value and the power of being a friend. And tonight, I just wanna give you a few things within that of what I saw in that moment that night that I think, and this is not all incomprehensible, like it's not everything that it takes to be a friend, but there are like five things that happened in that night. And let me just tell you, even this, this is important because going into marriage, marriage is about friendship. Sexual compatibility won't hold you together in adversity. Having fun with somebody all the time, they're just so much fun, won't hold you together during adversity. It is friendship and friendship alone that is gonna get you through hard times. And Jesus Christ lays out a way for what it looks like to be a friend that is a friend that is transforming in a culture where people don't know how to be friends. And so tonight, I want us to lean in and learn, and maybe God can work through your life. Not as you, I need friends, but God, how do I be a friend? How do I be that for somebody else? Let me look in the mirror tonight as I walk through this. Don't you dare think of somebody else. Don't you think of some, you look at yourself. It starts with us looking intently into the law of God and let it penetrate our hearts we pull the, speck, the log out of our eye before we point the speck into others. So I want to do that tonight. And the first thing is, if you're taking notes, is this. Uh, to be a good friend, it's unconditional commitment. It's unconditional commitment. That night, I saw unconditional commitment by those guys to a guy who was messed up and broken. It says in Proverbs 18, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. That night, Bill for the sake of protecting his name, Bill would have come to ruin if it wouldn't have been for friends. If it would have been for friends who just said, oh, you're just, you're being overdramatic, whatever, or man, that's too much of a mess for me. No, his life would have come to a ruin. But he had a, they had, he had a friend that day that stuck closer than a brother, multiple. Unconditional commitment. A friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for a time of adversity. Adversity. You see, you've got to learn to have unconditional commitment. That's what it takes for friendship and marriage and friendship. And we're in a culture right now that doesn't want to commit to anybody. But you don't realize when you refuse to commit, you can never grow. Think of a tree. A tree plants itself somewhere. Why? And it commits to the ground that it's on. And it needs to go through all seasons, just like you need to go through all seasons with a friend. Why? When it's dry, guess what? A tree's roots grow deeper. When there's wind and storms, guess what? Its roots grow wider for greater strength. And then as it, when it's cold and it's winter, guess what? That's where the solidification of what happens during the spring and growing season takes place. You need all of that and you're never never going to grow if you don't have unconditional commitment to somebody. And you have no idea the security that it brings in a friendship. Guess what? Other people are going to say things that offend you. We've got to start having thick skin and a tender heart. We right now live in a culture where all of us, me included, we have tender skin and really callous, thick hearts. And our culture is it's wreaking havoc on people because of that. May we as Christians have an unconditional commitment to one another and we know that people are gonna blow it. They're gonna hurt us. They're gonna say that. But we have a commitment to them and we're gonna stick. 
And there is power and there is security. And when you make that commitment in your life, that's where growth starts to happen because you no longer, as soon as you get bad bail, you lean in to say, hey, let's fix this. Let's address this. Let's grow together. Let's be patient with one another. And that's where thriving can happen. Commit to your friends. Be a person. Even if they don't, you do that. You carry unconditional commitment. Second is this transparency and vulnerability. Man, it was that night I saw people share some things to this guy who was going through a lot that I was like, my goodness, what are they, why are they spilling their guts to this guy? I had no clue that that's what friendship did. You see, you've got to be open with your friends. To be a friend, you've got to be willing to be open with your emotions, with your time, with your decisions. If you're not letting your friends in on your decisions, you're not a good friend to them. You need people to speak into your life, your friends. You need to be open with your faults, flaws, and weaknesses. That is, and of course, you gotta be, I'm not saying you do it with everybody, but with a close few that you're calling your friend and to be a friend, you've gotta be willing to have that openness. It says this in scripture, it says like, look what Paul said. He talked to the Thessalonians. He said, we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted not only to share the gospel, but our lives as well. He was open with your life. You've got to have transparency and vulnerability and open your life to your friends. That even means you've got to carve out time for them. We live in a culture where we're so focused on our grind, our agenda, our accomplishments, and that we don't have time for our friends and we're not open and vulnerable. And when adversity hits, we try to rent a friend. But let me just tell you, you can't rent a friend. You can't do that. It takes time to develop that, to be able to have that trust. But you've got to be willing to do that yourself as well. It says, plans go wrong for lack of advice, but many advisors bring success. You've got to let your friends in on your choices. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Transparency. But it's hard to be transparent when, you're not, when you don't have commitment to somebody. Third thing is this, brutal honesty and radical grace. For real friendship, you've got to be a real friend. It's, you've got to have brutal honesty. Let me just tell you, there is no greater friend in my life than my wife. She is my best friend. There is nobody I would rather do anything with than her. And let me just tell you, she has permission to be completely brutally honest with me. But you know what? I'm willing to accept it because I know she's committed and she ain't going nowhere. That her agenda to be brutally honest with me is not to cut me down because she cares and loves for me and it builds me up and, and to build me up. And so therefore, guess what? I'm not gonna take offense. You see, everybody loves like, yeah, let's tell the truth. But you gotta be, uh, to tell the truth, you gotta also be willing to accept the truth. And that's hard at times because you feel like they're attacking you, but if you would learn to rest in the gospel of Jesus Christ and know the value of a good friend, it says in Proverbs that an enemy multiplies his kisses, but faithful are the wounds from a friend. Man, they tell you the truth because they care about you. And let me just tell you, you have blind spots in your life. I do too. 
I do too. And do you know what? If I'm insecure and I can't let her speak into my blind spots and I can't let Nathan Harper or Dylan Eberly or Austin Crable or a few other people speak into my blind spots, I am never going to grow. I'm never going to mature. I'm never going to become all that I can. And so I've got to be willing to let them do that, but they do it also with radical grace. That night, I saw friends tell this guy the truth, but I also saw them show extreme radical grace to a guy in his mess because guess what? We all need grace. We all need it. And you can carry truth and grace into a friendship. And that's what a real friend does. Let me just tell you right now. I can tell you if you're a user or not. And this is just a self-assessment. Do you have a friend that you need to tell the truth? But you won't tell them the truth because you're afraid it's going to put your relationship at jeopardy? You're thinking about yourself more than you're thinking of them. I'm I'm not trying to be hard. I'm trying to help you. That's what a real friend does. But also you're not going to go in there like a bulldog and rip them apart. You're going to do it humbly. You're going to examine yourself first. And then you're also going to be open to letting them correct you as well. That's what a friendship does. Brutal honesty, but radical grace. We need grace. It says this, make allowances for each other's faults. Forgive one another. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. We're in a culture that doesn't want to forgive. And for real friendship to happen, we, we've got to be able to experience failure. We've got to be able to stumble over something. And man, I blew it and I own it. And we've got to be able to offer forgiveness. Brutal, tr- brutal honesty, but radical grace. Next thing is this. Shared values. There's a difference between interest and values. You see that night, all those guys that were sitting in the room that a lot of them I became good friends with, guess what? A lot of us had not a lot of interest in common. They, they liked some things that I didn't like, some things, but guess what I could tell you? In that room that night, there was a shared value of walking in the direction of Christ and living in that. And values are what you build a friendship off of. So many of you are looking to even date and you're dating based off interest. Can I tell you something? Interests change. And you may have the same interest as somebody, but completely different values. And let me just tell you, in a marriage and in friendship, when, when hardship comes, it's the values that are exposed in their life, not the interest. And so friendship, there is a common direction. It says this, In scripture, it says, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Man, in the moment of like, when the rubber comes the road, it's the values that come out. And are you, do you have a value set that's in line? Interest, and that's the beauty of being a follower of Jesus. There are people that I'm friends with that I'm like, if it wasn't for the common value of Christ, I'm like, I don't think we would ever be friends. (laughs) You're weird. But because of that, guess what that does though? It broadens you. It broadens you. It exposes you to things in different ways of life and interest and gives you grace to listen to people and understand people and appreciate people because you have a common value and a direction, but your interests are different, and that will broaden you and make you a better individual and a better follower of Jesus. You need people to broaden you that don't see the world the same way that you see it, that have had different experiences, but they're walking in line with Christ. Shared values. And then lastly is this. Selfless sacrifice. 
selfless sacrifice. No friendship can make it without this. And, and, and guess what? This is probably one of the hardest parts of friendship. This is one of the hardest things. I, I want to read you something because it's just going to be best. And I know I'm, am, is it all right? I'm a little over time. Can I keep going? Like, is this good? Okay. Uh, I need to take a breath. My veins popping out. I can feel it. I'm not angry. I, I want to read you. I want to read you something out of my journal. I, I wrote this down, and I've been going back and reliving this. Like, but I just want to. The grammar might not be great. I went to UAM, which means you ain't much. Like, I know. <laughs> I get it. I married a woman with a PhD, and you're like, how did you do that? Hey, who's the smart one got the smart one to marry him? You know, hey, you got to give me credit somewhere. But listen to what I said. In this, there was an intense moment with this guy in this room, and, it said, and I wrote this. I'll say his name, Bill. Bill responded by saying, no one cares about me in which a guy in there lashed out saying, really? Here's the truth. Here's the brutal honesty. Really? Really? No one cares about you. No one cares about you. Oh, really? Do you not see these guys around you? Do you not see that they care? And at that moment, Bill, though not knowing, though knowing he was in the wrong and what he was doing was selfish, responded, y'all can't be with me forever. You're just gonna prolong this. I'm gonna take my life. I'll never forget it. He looked at everyone. He goes, fine. And just sunk in. He's like, you're just prolonging this because I'm gonna do it. And after he said that, one of the guys, I don't remember who it was in the room. I just said, after that, one of the guys responded by saying that we would all stay with him. That there was enough of us to be able to cover and figure out a shift. And if we had to handcuff ourselves to him, if needed, we did. And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, why, why are you volunteering me? <laughs> but even at that moment, I was like, yeah, yeah. I'll... We all chimed in and said, yeah, that's right. At that moment, there was not a dry eye in the room. We truly loved him and were willing to embrace the mess and walk with him through it. I would love to say that everything was fixed in an instant that night. It wasn't. As the night went on, prayers and love continued to pour out. And a bunch of just roughneck guys chose to exercise sacrifice for an individual. It was a mess. And they chose to surround him and walk through the pain. It was tough. But people are always worth it. You know, I can stand here today and tell you something that that individual, weeks, not that night, but it was weeks, even maybe months later, came to know the Lord. And to this day, he's married, he's got kids, and he's faithfully serving Jesus in a local church. And can I tell you something? It was because people, guys, chose to be friend and embrace sacrifice, whatever it took for their friend. And they chose to be a friend, even though that individual was not one back. You see, to be a friend does not, is not based off, is somebody going to do it back to you? It's a choice to do it regardless. 
And that's the choice you and I have to make. Listen to this. I wrote this down. It said, we saw relationships to the core take life as we love somebody more than ourselves. God extended grace through some college guys that night in their personal stories. His problem became our problem. It wasn't his story. It was our story. Can I tell you something? Being a friend is hard. It's a lot of hard work. It's painful at times. And you might be saying, where in the world am I going to get the power to do this? The power to do this is only found in looking at the gospel. It's ironic. His problem became our problem. Whose problem became our problem? Who is the greatest friend? Look what it says in John 15. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. To lay down one's life for one's friends. Earlier on before that, Jesus said, I don't call you servants. I call you friends. Our problem became his problem. And the Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He moved before we ever moved. That's a friend. And it's only as you and I pick up this book and we read it and think about it and study and say, I don't want to just know it. I want to imitate your words. That's where the power comes from to be able to be the friend. I mean, think about it. He was saying that and he was going to have friends denying. Hey guys, can you just stay up and pray with me? And every time they're snoring like, oh, forget it. I'm Nope, y'all can die for yourselves. I'm done. He did it anyway. The selfless sacrifice of a friend. And he is our model. And he is the one we imitate. And he is the one to follow. And he's the only one who's aced it. We're going to stumble at this. You're not going to get it perfect. But because of the gospel and what he's done for us, is when you blow it, takes your hand and says, keep getting back up. And you may be saying it's too painful. And I'm going to close with this. C.S. Lewis had a quote. Because I know right now you can be debating in your mind. like, Man, that's just really hard. You don't know what people. Uh, listen, that's, I could get hurt. Yeah. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said. To love it all is to be vulnerable. To love anything and your heart will be. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up in the, set, in an, in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable impenetrable, irredeemable, to love is to be vulnerable. And when you and I choose to be that type of friend, 
Can you imagine how relationships can thrive? Can you imagine what God can do in the life of someone who's observing you that could be just like me, far from God? Or like that other guy in another type of broken spot, far from God, but extending the friendship of God can draw people to Him and they can meet the ultimate friend who can take the resume of never leave me, never forsake me, never let me down, never hurt me. We can't carry that resume, but there is a friend that can.